0: Hi, I'm Jen, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this podcast deals with the hard stuff in life. We share stories of trauma and triumph, and the subject matter may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for content warnings and take care of yourself. If you want to further support what we're doing, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com nowwhatpod You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience.
1: For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, We're your hosts, Jen and Tisha.
0: Hi, and welcome back to Now
1: What? I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Today, I am joining you from my daughter's bedroom because (laughs) we're recording when the kids are awake. And at home. And at home, because it's school break for us here. So typically, we do this after the kids go to bed. But today's guest is actually joining us from Brussels. So because of that time difference, We are recording at nine in the morning here, which is 3 p.m. in Brussels. And (laughs) we wanted to make that shift because Nadia's story is so compelling and so beautiful. And we really wanted to make sure that we're able to share her story with you. She is a self taught technologist and proud mom. And she has a really powerful story, which we've seen her. TED Talk, which was incredible. And we will definitely link that for you. So you can see that as well. But welcome, Nadia. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you guys doing? Uh, Early in the morning. So
0: it's morning on your side? Yeah. Yes. Well, good morning. So (laughs) Nadia has her her little one in her lap and we are our two older ones in various states of undress locked out of the rooms that we're in. So this could be our most active episode ever. Uh, this is motherhood it's like exactly. you know in
2: full pictures motherhood.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: So Nadia we we saw your TED talk. We know that you are a successful entrepreneur and technologist but that didn't just happen easily no, for you
2: you weren't set up no, for this to be your life there was no overnight success actually <laughs> so right. yeah yeah so I arrived in Brussels in 2008 so and when I came here you know it was like new adventure starting a new life it was so much fun and um unfortunately uh I think it was about six months later six months uh I lost my parents and I ended up not knowing what to do next so you know like moving into a new country barely speaking the language which is French was something that I found was really hard for me so basically I did the language I didn't know where to go who to ask for help which led me to which led to the road of being actually homeless so you know I think about it and you know sometimes I wonder like oh if I what would have happened if I had gone and asked for help? I don't know. Just ask someone, hey, I, I'm homeless. I don't know what to do. But I was really ashamed, and I was alone, and I was a kid, like 15 years old. I really didn't know what to do. Like, what next? Like, who should I go to? And to be honest, I really thought that they were not going to keep me here in Belgium. I was super scared. I was like, okay, so what's going to happen? So being homeless was it was scary to be honest. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I I barely remember the that I don't very remember the process of being homeless, but I remember one thing specifically, like I remember like, I don't know if this, I said this in my TED talk, it was one day, it was really cold, it was winter, and I was sitting on a metro stairway and it was late at night. All the shops were closed. Everybody was, oh, no, there was no one on the street. And that was the only safe place I would actually find. Because when I would sleep at night, I usually went for like parks and uh, metro stairways and all this type of things. Because it was at least secluded from the very, very chilly wind. And no one could find me there, basically. So I felt like it was my safe, my safe place. And, you know, I was sitting there and... I kept asking myself, like, is this really what my life is going to be like? Like, like trying to find a safe place to sleep, uh, barely had eaten anything, not even ha- had a drink of water. And, you know, I would spend my days just sitting by the bus station and just sitting there, like just sitting there basically from mm-hmm. day on end because I had literally nothing to do. And so that moment I was just like, is this really what my life is gonna be like? Like, w- how how am I gonna survive this? It's one of those impactful moments that really stays with you. Even today, yeah. I feel I feel the pain that I felt back then, which I was scared. That was just the one I was scared because I was always the type of person that I wanted, I have big dreams. I I've always had mm-hmm. big dreams. When I was when I was growing up, I wanted to be something, amount to something, be someone. And the fact that my life was amounted to sleeping on a stairway. Was just like humiliation for one, anger for not understanding like how how can I get myself out of this situation? And one day, um, I was sitting by the, the the bus stop, and some woman comes up to me and asks me saying, "Hey, I've I've seen you here sitting there every day." for a while and you know like i don't i don't understand like what are you what's wrong what are you doing are you you know her first thought was are you um are you a refugee it's like no no i'm not a refugee and it's like i shouldn't you look young and you're not supposed to be in school and i'm like no i i dropped out of school and she she told me so she she asked me what's going on and i explained to her that i've been homeless for almost a year now and yeah, I just don't know what to do. I'm a bit lost. I don't know what to do, and it's like, okay. And she's like, okay. So what she did was she um, she took me to uh, a government site, which is called the uh, CPIS. It's like um, uh, an, an aid for you know uh, foreigners coming to the country, uh, people who need you know money. Whether you know they help you with money, they give you some food and maybe place to stay. So she showed me that place. this was Friday, and when I arrived there, it was already closed. So what I did was I sat on that stairway Friday, Saturday, Sunday, till Monday. And I was the first person when they came, I was at the door and they saw me and they were like, you're early. And I'm like, I've been here since Friday. I'm very early. <laughs> I was like, I've been here since Friday. So, you know, I arrived there and, uh, you know, we sat down and I explained to her that, yeah, I been homeless. And one person saw me on the street and she pointed that maybe you guys could help me. And she was like, okay, my French was a bit broken. So I could just say, you know, we have I was just, uh, it was just, there was like a mixed communication, but we figured it out. And when she understood I was a minor, and then I think one of the things that sort of saved me was the fact that I am originally from Kenya, but I have a Swiss passport because my parents were Swiss. I, I, was, I had adoptive parents who were Swiss. So it was, uh, I think that sort of like fast track the entire process like oh yeah you're European you are European okay we can help you now you have the necessary wow. papers because I feel like if I didn't have the necessary papers if I was just purely Kenyan things would have turned out very differently for me because the moment she figured that I was European I had a place to stay the same day she put me in a, in a community housing right wow and so I, I arrived at that community housing and you, know, you finally think okay this is great uh things are looking up right um it was a mixed community housing with people from different walks of life my first night there someone tries to get funny with me oh gosh and you're like okay so you know for just you let you let your gut down like oh my god i'm safe here finally but the thing is it's a commu- it's basically like a homeless shelter for you know and i I couldn't get it. I was just like, I was so terrified that, um, you know, I went and told the other people and they were like, okay, so you can't stay here. We need to put you in yet another place. Think, so they placed me in a kid's home now because they were like, okay, it's your child. Because you know, that was an emergency. They had no other option because, you know, to find a place for someone, it takes time, but it's not like they're going to let you continue sleeping in the streets. So they needed to find a solution ASAP. So that night was like the longest night of my life. I was like, I mean, I lived on the street for a year. and No one tried anything with me, and then you come right. in to in like safe space. A, technically, it's like a safe space, and then yeah. someone tries to get funny with you, and you're like, okay, and you're a you know. kid, and it, yeah, and I was, I was like, I didn't even understand the, the the concept of like what. Okay, I knew that. Okay, don't touch me. It's not right, but, you
0: but didn't I didn't much know that, that. Like okay, like okay, why? I'm a kid. Like what, what's going on here? yeah well and and I think what's really interesting about all of this is like the grief you must have been dealing with I hadn't even dealt with that just yet right well but but that you're holding that (laughs) of a more reason that's in you right it's it's completely like let's say
2: I couldn't even attend I couldn't even go home back to Switzerland I couldn't go home I couldn't do I didn't I wasn't able to process. I just felt like it was a survival thing. I need yeah. to survive. I need to find my next sleeping place. I need to find maybe food to eat. I need to, I don't know. And it was just like my, I think my mind wasn't like caught up Okay, This is what, this is what's going on. No, it was a very weird year for me to be honest because so once I, I, they placed me in a, in a home, I remember so that's what the kids home like you know it was safe now like you know you had women around you you were safe and the women the kids were my age but they also troubled you know because I came from a loving family and ending up with kids who come from like abusive homes and gangs and this it was one of those things where I just couldn't fit in because I I'm a quiet person I you know I was smoking blah blah so I was like I just didn't fit in but then I ended up always trying to like you know try and fit in so I started smoking with them I started doing that so it wasn't like a really good influence Mm -hmm. but I remember one of the things second thing that remains with me was so I I didn't I didn't have a shower for such a long time Mm -hmm. and when they placed me in my home in the in the home they were like okay so this is your room and I was in the shower and you know water and then suddenly this was like Everything was just happening from zero. Like, finally, I was just processing whatever was happening to me. And I just started crying and scrubbing myself Mm -hmm. raw. Like, I just felt like I have to wash this year away from my body. I have to get rid of this year. because, And then you just play everything in your mind thinking it's like a movie. You know when you're watching some movie and you're like that's really sad you know like I felt like my I was what replaying the entire year in my mind like it was a movie and this didn't really happen to me like I was so detached like this couldn't
1: have Mm -hmm. happened to me no well you'd just been in like survival mode right exactly you're just worried about getting some water and some sleep and some food Exactly,
2: because it was winter, I was cold and just barely had to think about, okay, I didn't even get to think about my, my family, I didn't get to think about, okay, uh, what am I going to do next, it was mainly, I don't know what to do, I'm stuck in this circle, or vicious circle of finding shelter, surviving the night, sitting on the bus stop, and then, you know, like, just hanging around, doing nothing. So it was that moment in the shower, it really, I cried, it's like, I, I hadn't cried, I mean, I... I hadn't cried that you know we have different cries you know we have that cry mm-hmm. where uh, there's tears coming out because you're sad but then there's that grief cry like from deep in your soul cry where you actually like are our best you're you're a total mess and yeah
1: this is like that
2: cathartic
0: <laughs> exactly let, it out. It's, it's let it out
1: it's like really and it's
2: so deep in your soul, so like I couldn't even I, I didn't even know that it was there you know I didn't I think it's that hot water following through me that sort of just like made it come out because it's like simple luxuries that I was denied was I couldn't get it so Mm. finally you know you're thinking okay life is gonna start looking up right uh I was placed in a home which was really great it was like you know it was in in the middle of nowhere there were like some horses uh, on the other side and there were kids from like four years old to 17 so it's really a mix of a familial you know because since I had no one uh, as a guardian to take to take care of me I was given to the state so one of the judge would have to make decisions as if he was my parent so right. you know they had decided that okay so he decided you're gonna be in this environment which is a bit more familial you know it's a family environment you'll feel safe that you'll be happy and you would fit in well you know because the other places I just didn't fit because I grew up in a family where you know we eat dinner at the table we we, we say mm-hmm. good night we we, we 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 talk to each other so it was very hard for me to go to different Homes and just see that not happening, you know, see people fighting, you know, see people smoking, smoking, like.
1: Yeah, because you came from a nurturing environment. Exactly.
2: So that was a huge shock for me and I didn't fit in. And then when, you know, he would get reports every month about what I'm doing and he was like, seeing that I'm heading down a a bit of dangerous road, like you said, it's smoking. You never used to do that. No, that's not right. You can't stay there because, you know, they're influencing you. So you have to go somewhere else. So I was placed in a really nice home. And the people there were just so you know, you would wake up and we had a cook, like it was, we had a cook and she would make us breakfast. So, you know, everybody would wake up in the morning, sit at the table, eat breakfast, right? So, and then everybody would go to their, well, to their schools and stuff. So, you know, it came to, came time for me to ask the question, what are you going to do now, Nadia? You're no longer homeless, right? So they sat, they, they sat me down and said, okay, so what, what are your plans here? And, you know, I was like, well, I'm still a kid, so I would like to go back to school. And so the first thing we did was like, okay, let's apply to schools. So, you know, applying to schools in Belgium is a process of you apply to a school, they give you an entry exam. And if you pass the entry exam, they put you somewhere. So I, my French wasn't that great that back then. So every time I passed an entry exam, I was like, you know, pass mathematics. But when it came to the French, it was absolutely horrible. I failed. So mm. they just rejected me immediately. Like, No. Not gonna work. So we did like three, four schools, and you know what? No one just kept accepting me. Now I was just like, okay, so maybe I'm dumb. I don't know what to say, but each each exam I keep passing, I keep failing. So what they suggested was okay, okay, so now we're going to try a professional type of thing where you go to school twice a week and then you work for three weeks. And they were like, There they would accept you. So they took me to the school and they were like, Okay, so now you have to choose something and the careers they put in front of me to be honest were none of the options I ever actually thought that I wanted to do because growing up I thought I wanted to be a businesswoman I want to travel you know I want to maybe change the world
0: humanitarian something around that line and you were put in this position where it was essentially a trade school Was that's what they're called exactly yeah exactly the jobs that lead to that
2: yeah and the options were were I had to either choose cooking so it was a comedy cuisine it's like a um, kitchen aid basically mm-hmm. or you had like a social assistant or you had something to do with office work or garage you had to work in a garage so you would learn how to like a mechanic that's the word mechanic yeah so you had these options and you're like I never visualize so you're asking me to pick a choice pick a career right now right you're asking me to choose something that will require me two years to give myself and time I have no idea what what's going on here so you know I just felt like uh you know what I'll choose cooking because I thought you know how hard can it be (laughs) like to cook like hello how hard can it be so I chose the option cooking now, to be honest, it was a love moment. To be I, I, I learned how to cook, and uh, I turned out to be actually quite good at it. One of my first tasks was actually to go, go to restaurants and look for a job. Now, you know, coming into a, to a restaurant saying, "Hey, you know, um, I'm looking for a job, uh, uh, and I, you will just have to pay me half, and then the school will pay you the other will pay me the other half." It's okay, and uh, you know, the moment that like, people kept rejecting me, and then I went to one of the restaurants, which was like very. Porsche restaurant I felt like I don't fit there you know I don't I don't I didn't look like this I changed over the years but (laughs) (laughs) you know I was this really short black kid you're like coming into this very sweat to god very white restaurant it was like very like all the clientele were all like very Porsche people and you know I came there and I said look I'm looking for a job because I want to learn how to cook and I will work and I'll do my best just you know please and the guy was like Okay, we'll give you a try. You can try. So, you know, the school came, they saw the work environment, and then that's when I started working. So, I started working and I loved it. Seriously, it was a passion that undiscovered passion that I had that I didn't know about. You know, when you think about cooking, you just think about making meals for your family every night, and there's nothing really passionate behind it. But to be honest, cooking is an art, it's a skill, and it is unbelievable when you can actually mix up ingredients together and bring out something amazing so you know it turned out that I was good at making desserts so they put me in the dessert section and my job was mainly like working in the desserts making the salads making the you know tiramisu the uh, creme brulees and everything and then the time came for my first paycheck and the guy gave me like um it was about like 900 euros 900 euros can you be like I was six I was I was, I was you like probably, six, like even half. now I'm like whoa and you're like, you know, because, you know, I was like, I was working all the time and was working beyond my hours. And I was just like, what? Are you sure that's mine? It was like, yeah, it was like, oh, wow. You know, and then I took it and then I went back to my home and I showed my guardian who was there. I was like, look at this, oh, look at all this money. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy it. And he's like, whoa, Nadia, cool down. He was like, when you turn 17, the home actually asks you to Live by yourself because you know you're 17, almost 18, and you are almost an adult. So we will want you to transition. We we want those most independent kids who can live alone to transition so that they can give my spot to someone else. Right. So it's like, how about saving some money? How about you no? Know, we go open an account and we put that herd and money that you worked so hard for into account, and then you take some and then you do whatever you want. Now it's like actually. That's interesting. Um, you know, I didn't think about ever having a bank account. I didn't think about savings. All I wanted to do was take that and buy an Xbox. That's yeah. what I want to buy an Xbox. I want to buy a phone because, you know, I am lo- a gamer. I, could- I-, I was without a game for like a year. I wanted to binge game everything that I missed till then. That- he was like, you'll get to buy all those things, but you get to save too, which is good for you because you'll have to buy furniture, you'll have to buy, you know, you have to pay your first uh, rent deposit. You have to do so many things, so it's good to start saving now. And we went. He opened me my first bank account, and actually, till this day, I still have the same account.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, how how amazing to have that kind of support, to be making that kind of money, but to have that. Yeah. This is the job of the parents. Right. This is where
2: parents come in and do like, OK, you, you got your first uh, job as a, you know, mowing loans, whatever. Let me tell you, save some money for the future. And I didn't mm-hmm. have that. And that was something that was so valuable to me because throughout my life, when, when I was alone, I didn't have that. And it was like. I kept making wrong decisions, you know, making wrong decisions where I think parents would come and say, don't do that, do this.
0: Well, or so, you're, you're a teenager and you make those wrong decisions and somebody exactly. can like guide you through them.
2: Exactly. But you're yeah, not, you're yeah. not given
0: the opportunity to learn from them if there's nobody exactly. helping you.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that guy really sort of like pivoted the entire process of me wasting my money on video games like a normal kid would do to thinking like an adult and saying, I have to save for the future. So you know I continued working like that and finally 17 came and I had to live alone 17 came and I had saved about 9000 euros wow in the, in the in the in the years that I worked it was about it was quite unbelievable like for me I was only 17 and I'd saved that much money meaning that I got everything I ever wanted from the home food if I needed medication they bought it if I needed the glasses they got it if I needed to go to something they did it so it was barely like unused money I never actually used it unless I needed to buy a video game or I needed to like I don't know you know do something go out with uh, have a sandwich but I barely used that money so all that money was stuck away So it came time to live alone. And I remember my first apartment, it was this 12 square meter apartment, 12 square meter. It was like the kitchen, the toilet, the bedroom was in one room. Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) But it was mine. And I love, I was so happy. I said, I had a mattress on the floor. I bought my TV, I bought my I got my video games and I was just so happy. It was really like it was a, it was it was horrible but it was it was awesome. You know, at the same time, I still worked at the restaurant, but unfortunately, another issue came up, was that you know, many issues that come with people working in restaurants is the alcoholism, is drinking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And to be honest, I sort of fell into that trap where I had such a hard day where you your bone tired, your feet hurt. You are like, I would wake up at nine. I'll be in the restaurant by nine 30, 10. And then I would have a shift till around three. And then I would go home or I would hang around in the restaurant or sleep upstairs for a while, then go downstairs and work all the way till midnight or one o'clock sometimes. And that was like Monday to Saturday, every day, you know, cause I felt like, Oh yeah, I have to work, you know, they say, take a day off no, I don't need it. I'm fine. I can do this. So take it. And then, you know, like colleagues would meet up and start drinking and you'd be like, oh, let me drink. It's fine. So yeah, I started drinking and I got really like sucked into this gin and tonic
1: every day, every day. Once I finished my. Yeah. There's a lifestyle. Sometimes I I worked in, in bars and restaurants when I was younger and there is a lifestyle of like, you finish your shift, you have drinks with your friends. exactly when you're not working you're still there and exactly, drinking exactly. and you're off time so,
2: <laughs> and there's like there's this thing where
1: you you're younger but you
2: are in an older crowd you know you're still young but you're in an older crowd you're doing a mature thing right you know working mm-hmm. is a mature thing technically while I was living alone I still had a guardian the, a guardian who was there to sort of like make paid by the stage to make sure that you know i'm i'm working i'm living correctly if you he needed help doing administrative work because suddenly you're an adult you have rent to pay you have this to do so they had to make sure that the money that they were paying you was going to like the right places and not being used up for nonsense so he saw the gin and tonic bottles you know he kept seeing them like one after the other one after the other and he asked me like are you okay I'm, "Yeah, i'm fine i'm fine so one day he, um, he, he just took them away. He said, you're not drinking, anymore. You have a problem and you're not drinking and you need to stop what you're doing. You need to stop working in this restaurant because if you continue like this, Nadia, you will ruin your life. Like, yes, you're making money. You're happy, you know, but you are drinking yourself way too young. Like you're way too young to be drinking this much. Like he came and told me, I saw this gin bottle full and I come four days later and it's empty. He was, he was livid. He was so angry, not at me, but at the fact that I found myself trapped in this situation.
0: So, well, they worked you know, so he was hard. Like, it got you to this good well, this place that should have been amazing. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I have to be honest that, you know, I have, I have managed to fight so many addictions in my life. So, you know, once I arrived in my home, when I was a kid, I couldn't sleep, and I feel like this is something where I tell many people: don't do this at home, or don't let anyone push you into taking things that you don't want. But I couldn't sleep; I hadn't slept for a week. So they took me to a doctor, and they said, "Oh, you're not sleeping? Okay, let's prescribe you some sleeping pills." You know, and you're only sixteen years old—like sixteen years old—and you're like, you know, I was thinking for now that I'm an adult. Why would you not try herbal tea or I don't something less so less I don't know less medical bigger. like medicine medical like, you yeah. know and so they they got me on sleeping pills now think about this sleeping pills were managed by the home my guardian who was at the home so every night he would cut it in half and give it to me and then send me to bed what happens when you send a kid who lives alone oh, with sleeping pills yeah and i ended up like so i would work these crazy hours i was so exhausted so i would drink and then when it was time to bed, I would pop a sleeping pill, not even realizing the dangers of mixing alcohol and sleeping pills. Right. But then one sleeping pill, half a sleeping pill turned to one and then one turned to one and a half and then one and a half turned to two and then two turned to three. And I always ended up taking about four a night. Wow. And the sleeping pills actually are you have about 30 in the bottle. When they finished, I was like a drug addict. I was so disconnected from myself like I was like a bit nervous and I was a bit shaky and I was like you know I couldn't concentrate I was absolutely another person and then once I went back to my doctor he saw that this was not normal so I would switch that doctor and go to another one I'd be like oh I'm not sleeping I'm tired I can't sleep I haven't slept for a week okay Here. And and then he was like, okay, let me give you something. And I'm like, what did you used to take in the past? This. Okay, let's continue with that. And bam, new sleeping pills. So that continued until the guy was like, you're mixing alcohol, sleeping pills. Nadia, are you mad? No way. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to kill? He really thought that I was trying to kill myself, which I wasn't. I'm finally in a place where I have my own place. I have a roof under my head. And I just told him, like, it just helps me sleep. It helps me sleep because I can't sleep. and you know, it continued, and then he told me to stop, so they stopped, basically, they sent me this amount of money, which was just enough to pay the rent, just enough to eat, not enough to buy alcohol, so, and then the money that I earned in the restaurant, it was like, now you have to quit your job, you have to stop working in the restaurant, because this is not good for you, so I quit the restaurant job, right, so, you took that advice, I took that advice, because, you know, I've always been a person who, I know that the world, so many people want to give you advice, but sometimes, this advice can save your life, you know, because we always tend to take things so personally when someone gives us advice about our lives. But I feel like okay, some people just do it because sometimes they feel like they want, but sometimes an advice can save your life. So I really did look around me and I saw the bottles, I saw the he bottles, knew he was, bottles. and I right. was like, I know how they make me feel, and how they make me feel is an addiction, basically. They made me feel good, and if anything, that. Makes you feel good. You have to question it, you know. You eat amount of chocolate a day. You you guarantee you're not gonna be okay. Or you eat, you drink beer every day. You're not gonna be okay. So I looked at it and I was like, yeah, this is not what my family would want me to do. This is not. I didn't. I wasn't raised like this. I stopped, and then, you know, I quit my job. I explained to them that I love cooking, but this is not the career. I don't want this career because this career is hard. It takes too much energy, too much time. And it's really too, a bit too toxic in terms of like the alcohol availability that is there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just felt like this is not what I want to do. So I quit. So, you know, when you quit your job, you're like, I've done this. I've earned this amount of money. So what am I going to do now? Like, you know, I keep, so I started applying for jobs. Yet again, I keep getting rejected. And I'm telling you that something I never understood is when you apply for jobs. I wasn't applying to be a doctor or, you know, working in like a very complex field. I was applying to work in stores. You know, I was applying to work, uh, what do you call it, like factories and stuff like that. I was like, I was just looking for a job that even if it required me to do some manual labor, I don't mind. It's it's a job. But each time they kept rejecting me because one, you don't have a degree. Two, you don't really have a A background. When I look at your CV, you don't have one. Each rejection sort of like tore a piece of myself. You know, it's like if if you hear as if you hear so much rejection in your life, you keep actually believing that I'm actually dumb. I'm actually not. I'm not. I'm not good at
0: something. I'm not. I don't have it in me. You know. Yeah. Well, I think something that has come up in all these episodes. I think especially, I'm not sure if it's a different mindset in Europe, but especially here in North America, as women it's so easy to tear us down. Like we just, yeah. we we are so quick to to jump to that, I think conclusion that we're not enough or we're not smart enough or whatever. Yeah, not worthy, yeah. Not
2: worthy, yeah. But I just felt like, you know, being homeless, having dropped out of school means you're dumb, means you're uneducated, means that, especially, you know, as a black person, you're like, yeah. you know, someone really literally asked me, like, are you a refugee? Is that why you're home? You know, I was just like, why would you come to that conclusion? Why? You know, mm-hmm. if, if I was a white homeless kid, why would you, would you ask me the same no. question? No. no. So, you know, it was really, it hurt because i wanted a chance and I was so hopeful and hope is something that it is a big, it can make you do great things, but it can also, once hope is taken away from you, it can make you lose yourself. You know, and that's why I say, hopefully, is, hope is so fickle. If we have it, we can do extraordinary things. But the moment it is taken away from us, we live in despair. And that was what, was what was happening. I was so much despair, thinking that I'd finally gotten out of this vicious circle of rejection and homelessness and not knowing like what's coming next. I was hoping that this was going to change. Like I was able to like find my next job. Yes, like with the restaurant, but I wanted to find my next job. So when I actually found a job, it was cleaning. So they offered me a job as a cleaner, cleaning houses. Now, I am very admirable of women or men who choose to work in this sector. So I accepted because you need a job. You need a job. So I took it. But I got fired. (laughs) Because I (laughs) suck.
1: I I swear to God, I suck. The only job you could get and you got fired. I'm sure that must have been just like the icing on the cake. (laughs) I, I know
2: knew it was coming I knew it was coming. <laughs> that's the thing like i I suck even today I start at cleaning and my husband <laughs> knows he knows you know and I'm like <laughs> I suck and I'm not ashamed of it. who says that women just because you're a woman you know how to clean like you know it's not written anywhere like just because you're a woman you should know how to clean okay i'm not I'm not messy but I'm just saying like having to take everything down and start vacuuming and cleaning and I'm like yeah, no, it's not me. It's just, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I'm <laughs> I hope my kids, <laughs> I hope my kids turn out better than me. But hey, I yeah. So I got fired. And I, was like, I told the guy. I'm not even surprised. I I understand because to be honest, this wasn't the job for me. It wasn't, and I I I had too much like hope. I was hoping for to to get a chance to do something meaningful in my life and i was hoping that you know i wanted to impact people and when i was like there cleaning i was like this is hard cleaning is so hard cleaning other people's houses is freaking hard because they each have their specifications and you had really like rich clients who look down on you and i just felt like i felt worthless it was horrible i couldn't do it i couldn't so yeah i i did what i could but what i could wasn't good enough so i got fired. So yet again we found ourselves in the, you know, in the in this in, in the case of applying for jobs again and getting rejected again. Yes. So I was still under the government's care because you know if you don't have a job, the government helps you pay your rent and gives you money. So I'm called into the office and they're like, okay, is this interesting job? Because they assign you a caseworker basically. And she's like, okay, this is an interesting job. It was uh administrative assistant for well, one no, of like the only university, like ULB, which is the Bru- University of Brussels. So I am like, I won't get it because it's first, it has administrative and administrative notes in front. And second, it's a university. Like, I won't get it. I told her, she's like, try, Nadia, go and apply and do it. So she helped me write my CV. Uh, even if it wasn't big enough, she sort of helped me structure that I speak English very well and I'm really motivated. And, you know, I wrote a really awesome uh, cover letter and I sent it out. Now I received the call that they wanted to meet me and I was like, are you sure like I don't know like are you sure it's me or you you, you like it was this someone some other caseworker that you're working on some other case so I know your name is there Nadia it's you I'm like okay uh I wasn't expecting it I was like okay thanks let's do this and she took me through the process of how you need to prepare yourself for in interviews and stuff and you know and I remember going for the interview and the first there's always like multiple interviews and like the first interview was with the with one of the uh one of the colleagues that works there and he told me so he was like come to my computer and open word and uh i need you to write a text for me now if you believe this i had never opened word in my life i've i actually never but i made it like okay i can do this i went to the computer and he was on the other side and i quickly googled had to open word <laughs> And then it was like, I, I looked, okay, there, bam, I clicked, I saw the icon, I clicked it, and then I started typing. Like, you know, I got this, I'm fine. And I was like, he was like, oh, okay, nice, uh, Excel. And then he sort of took me through the process of trying to see if I knew how to be administrative, like work as an administrative person. And I was like, okay, good, uh, you'll hear from us, uh we'll let you know what happened. Okay. And my caseworker calls me back and said, oh, yeah, they were, they, 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 they they are okay with what you did they want to meet you for the second interview but this time it's with the like the director of the university basically and I'm like oh my god so huge like yeah. i have like hello i've never like i told them, are you sure like is again is it my name over there so like yeah <laughs> you know because I, I always hated when they tell you something and oh no it's not sorry it's someone else i was always fearful that that's what's going to happen and they're like no they want to meet you so while I was waiting for my interview with the director, like there were about like five people in the room. I looked at each and every one of them and I was like, yeah, I'm not getting this job. Yeah, no, cause you know, I talked to them and they were like, oh yeah, I have a degree in this. I worked in this, I did that. And I'm like, okay, not gonna get the job. So I entered this room and there's this huge table and the director is sitting there. Um, and basically, you know, we start talking. In French and I do horribly horribly because you know when, when it's not your language you you can't really express passion or desire to be like I'm motivated you can't really put in your motivation into words if the language is not yours and then he was like okay let's switch to English and then bam moment and I told him I understood that my French sucked I know it was horrible and I'm sorry but I speak perfect English and I, I i can work i will learn i'll do everything basically i told him i'll walk double shifts if you want i don't care basically trying to just get the job wow. and i said like you know i've been dealt with really terrible cards and i feel like if you give me this opportunity it might change my life it might help me get out of it and i would i just need a chance and you know he was like okay um it is nice to meet you and we will get back to you and we'll let you know our decision, you know, the whole cryptic interview thing going on. It's like, why can't you just tell me now? But anyone's like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. No, no, no. I go. It takes a week to get oh. to like of waiting, you know. The, I hate it. I hate it. This whole process mm-hmm. like you wait. And then my social, my caseworker calls me and says, you got the job, Nadia. I'm like, no, you're Amazing. lying. it's just like, you got it. I'm like, why? I did horrible with the interview. It's like, yeah, but they were impressed with your English and they felt like you were motivated and you were willing to do everything in your power to do it. And she told me that the director said, you asked for a chance. Here is it. Here it is, Here it is. yeah. Here it is. This is your chance. And I was so afraid because, you know, it's not a hard job answering phones, but I felt like I might want to mess it up it's like, this is so big. Like, this is an office job. I don't have to clean people's houses. It's like an office job. Oh my God, this is exciting.
0: And you're at a university. So I don't, all I can think is that you have a chance to get educated working at a university in the way that you (laughs) wanted to. You
2: know, this is like an unbelievable moment. So you know, I arrive at my new job, I meet the team, they explain to me everything, I start working. And actually I excel at it. I'm good with people and I'm good with like, you know, answering phones. And I they saw that I was really capable. My boss even started leaving me alone for like two, three days in a row and just letting me handle it. And at some point she even took me to meeting with like, you know, cause I was working in a housing department and my job was to meet delegates from all over the world. Because since I spoke English, I was the first person they met in the office and helped them get settled in, in university, show them what works and what works how and where to go if they needed anything and uh, gave them like an overview of where the debat- the, their department is going to be and, and how it's going to work, which I was very good at and she, I was very happy. So the thing was, it was just a one-year contract. So no, 18 months actually. It was an 18 months contract, so two-year contract. And it was fun. And then I remember like within my one year, my boss came up to me and she's like, uh, Nadia, the webmaster is gonna go on holiday and uh, I need you to go to the department because I need you to do some changes in our websites because you know, uh, I need to make some few changes. And I was like, what are you talking about, what? She's like, yeah, I need to go to the IT department. I'm like, what do you need me to do exactly? I need you to change the website. And I was like, I can't do that. She's like, why not? And I'm like, it's IT. Like, I don't have any knowledge of it. I don't understand why you're asking me. she's like, well, I want you to do it. So I told her, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. As if like I have any power in this office. And she's like, <laughs> you know, uh, she, she let it go. And then she like every week should ask me, have you contacted the IT department? I'm like, no, I've been busy. I can't make it. I'm sorry. Because I was so afraid of disappointing. You no, know, one of my issues, even till today sometimes is, I hate disappointing people because I know what disappointment feels like. So I usually try to avoid, you know, manage people's expectations so that I do not disappoint them. And I just said, I told her like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm sorry, but let's. I'm so busy with work. I can't do it. So after three weeks, I, about two weeks, three weeks, I think she came up and told me, listen, Nadia, I've been asking you to do something and you've refused. So if you don't go to the IT department, I'm going to fire you. It's like, Whoa. oh, God. Are you serious? Getting like, real, yes. you know, because we had such a friend, uh, friendly relationship at work. Even if she was my boss, for her to actually say that to me, sort of like shook me. Like, what? I love my. I'm happy here. Why? It's yeah. like I asked you to do something. And I'm like, yeah, but you're asking me what's impossible. It's like, why is it impossible? I'm like, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I, I, I don't. And she's like. You don't know until you do it. So I want you to go sit down, meet the guy, talk to him, let him explain it to you. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, we'll find another solution. She didn't believe that I was actually going. She dragged me across the campus to the IT department. And she said, OK, here is the IT department. I went upstairs. And, you know, like already I sort of saw there were all men in the office, like all of them. And I was like, I don't fit here. Like they look like, you know, the typical, like what you imagine IT workers, you know. But anyway, you know, I go upstairs, I meet the guy, really great guy, he sits down. And so he said, I was like, okay, so you're here. He explains to me what, what a website is. Like, okay, I know what a website is, but I didn't know what happens in the back. I was like, yeah, you know what a website is, but you don't know what happens in the back. So let me show you. So, you know, he opened up his computer and it was like a two monitor screen. I was like, yeah, oh, this is awesome for gaming like yeah i gave you i was like "Oh yeah, you're a gamer i'm a gamer and i'm sort of built that you know connection like yeah. okay he opens the screen and then you know he pulls a bunch of codes different colors you're seeing screen you are like what is this and starts explaining to me the process of what it takes to build a website now i'm listening i'm following and then i start commenting like oh yeah so this does that and he was like yeah not bad Nadia. I was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, so if you change this, this is what's going to happen. It was like, again, right. I was like, wow, I get it. You know, I, I always refer to, I refer, refer to this moment as the light bulb moment, you know, yeah. when you have that light bulb going, ding, you know, up in you, up in your head. Wow. This, I get this. I was so shocked to be honest, because you know, when you think about engineering you know, technology, you think about IT, you think about Master's degrees, years of school. You think about the fact that I have not gone to school, and I I believe that I was dumb. I believe that okay, what I was doing was manual labor, you know, answering the phones. There was nothing to like um, required me to actually think like a te- like a technician, like a technical person. So I was really surprised that I actually understood the structure of a code and what it does. And I was like, okay. I said, thanks. And I went back to my department and then I was like, okay. And he gave me the, I said, I sent him an email saying, okay, so I've thought about it and I feel like I'm ready to try. So he gave me my access loggings for the website and, you know, I opened it and I looked at it and then I changed one word. Don't change too much, just one word. And let's see what happens. I changed it. I, re- I preview it. I was like, oh my God, it changed. I was like, okay, this is cool. So I started changing colors just to sort of like, see if, you know, right. I got this. And he was like, okay. And then he was looking through my changes. And it was like, not bad, Nadia. So he was like, now try and change it and save it. Cause you know, once you change something and save it it's permanent. Cause I, I actually never changed any, never saved any of my work because I was too afraid of messing up. It was like, after a week, he was like, you're good to go Nadia, change whatever she wants and save it and uh, you, you're good. I was like heaven. She gave me text. I started like putting them in there and then I would change, you know, the text size, the images, change colors here and there. And I just grew so confident with it. It was so much fun. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let me do more research on this. So that's when like coding was brought to me. That's when like, okay, there's a world called coding. There's a world called tech that, You seem to be good at Nadia. You seem to have the logical mindset that you didn't know that you have. So let's pursue this. So, you know, while I would work like from nine to four and then I would stay until like seven, just Googling coding and reading documents and just, you know, Googling different platforms I can sort of mess about with. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was like a world just sort of opened up to me where
1: I was finally good at something and passionate about it yeah and passionate and and, I hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about it it is I always
2: compare you know coding is exactly like cooking coding requires you to take ingredients put them together and give out something something new yeah so when you think about cooking and coding it's almost the same steps (laughs) so it's just I was so happy to finally find something that I was really really like this could lead somewhere. That was my first thought. This could lead somewhere. And finally, I have something that when I go to people, they might find worthwhile, right? They might find it that I have a skill. Mm -hmm. I can actually, I have a skill. So I I pursued this journey by, you know, going on Google, Googling, spending hours till like two in the morning, just uh, messing about on different platforms like Code Academy, uh, Free Code Camp, you know, because, I needed to be sure. So when I was sure, I told my boss, like, listen, I want to quit my job. I want to pursue this. I want to pursue this 100%. I want to give myself a year to pursue this and make something out of it. And she was like, you know what? it's understandable and you know your contract is almost up so I don't see why not so that was good on the boss part but I had to convince the government to give me like hey I want to have a year off because if you don't have a job they summon you like every three months or every two months so I wrote my letter I sent it to them and funny enough it was accepted and I was like okay it's like things are looking up so they gave me a year so when you think about learning something, the first thing you say is, I'm going to go to school, right? What's the best place to learn a skill rather than school? And since I worked in a university, it shouldn't be hard. We were colleagues, right? I was rejected because the IT department said that I don't have a degree to study that course. It was too big. It's too much for me. Right. You know, and I was like, yeah, but I understand the logic and how, I mean, I'm motivated and I'm willing to study my ass off to make it happen. They were like, yeah, but no, you don't have the necessary requirements to be registered in our school. You know, I was disappointed because finally, you know, you're happy and you're you're excited about something and then someone just gives you a blockade, another blockade. And I was like, so I went home and I was just like, yeah, this is starting all over again, right? I thought I was gonna get a chance, it didn't happen. It was like a turmoil, right? And I always say this is like, you know, everybody's life has sort of like a critical moment where you either pursue something or you give up and then you never know what's going to happen. And I was this close to giving up. I was like, yeah, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should go just continue my job and focus and do something else. But I was like, nah, it's like, I didn't get here because I got the easy way. I'm just going to continue what I'm doing on Google, and I'm going to keep on learning, keep on messing around, and till 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 I become good. So yeah, that's what I did. I was in my you know twelve square meter apartment, coding mm-hmm. every day. I, I was locked in my room for a year. I, swear, I actually barely went out. I was like ordering food or cooking it or cooking or you know just like on my screen coding, 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 coding every day, every day, every day, like twenty four hours. I barely even slept coffee coding and eating it was completely unhealthy but I was so <laughs> into it but you were I was so, so driven and passionate. I was I was so into it you know because I finally built my first website I was like wow you yeah, know I can do this so then after I said it slowly, I was like okay I'm, I had a few friends I was like I can build a website and they're like oh you can okay I know this person who wants a website to be built. I was like, can you give him my number? I like, yeah. So she gave people my number and, you know, left and right people started coming to me. Can you build me a website? Can you do this? Can you do that? And slowly, slowly, I sort of built sort of like, a, you know, I I know how to build websites. People knew, like, this is what she does. To, to be able to fully focus on my coding, you know, like my the way my brain works is this. I fully need to understand something. So I went to like a six-month training, which is completely like a one-hour train right away from Brussels. Whoa. because That was the only place that could accept me. And where they did sort of like a coding, technical training with networking, actually messing with wires, building the computer from scratch. Right. Because I wanted to make sure that coding was what I wanted, you know, because IT has different layers. So I wanted to sort of mess about with each layer to see where I was more attracted and that was a really beautiful moment because i i realized that i'm actually good i can build my own computer i built my first computer there from scratch and wow. then i messed about with the with the wires you know network wires connecting them to the right internet access i built an entire internet it was awesome really but I just chose coding because it was the less messy one. My my hands were bleeding after uh, six months working there. <laughs> I was like, ah, it's not me. It's like, come on, no way. So I chose coding because it, it was way more easier. It was more fun. After one year of coding with them, uh, I managed to get myself out of the government scare basically, and I became a freelancer. You know, I started like building websites left and right. I joined another bootcamp, which was like a uh, about a six months training on a more very specific technical field, which was more like would get me a better, get me a job or something. So it's like, this is good. And I joined that six months training and it was so much fun because I got to really be part of, you know, where I was com- I was in like commenting and I was participating and I was there. Despite me not having gone to school, not having the technical background that most people there, you know, because usually in a room, I'm usually the only person who never went to school. So, you know, because everybody has been to a master's degree, you know, this and that. And I've always felt like I wasn't good enough. But to be able to participate and actually understand and, you know, talk with other people was such a good thing for me because it sort of built up my confidence saying those one year that I gave, it it amounted to something. It meant something. So, mm-hmm. you know, so six months with that bootcamp. Yeah, I met my husband in that bootcamp by the way, so it was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> A lot came so out of that. <laughs> I know, I know. I just I didn't go in there thinking I'm gonna meet the you know the love of my life there. But hey, it turned out that he was there too. So whatever, like okay. So um you know after that I actually managed to establish myself in the Belgian ecosystem as you know uh, someone who knows technology. You know woo, she's passionate and you know, she's this and that. And um, I got invited to lots of technical events. And, you know, slowly people would ask me, who are you? And, and I would answer, this is what, who I am. Um, and then I was like talking about my passion of, I wanted to build an organization that basically inspired women or men or kids from my background saying that I was considered a, a lost case because I was homeless, I have no degree, The world just judged you based on that box, right? Because we we live in a world where people place you in boxes.
0: We like to categorize everything.
2: Exactly, right? So I didn't fit any of that because, you know, I spoke perfectly well. I was well behaved, but I didn't fit the whole category when it comes to academy or, you know, like background. So they just placed you in the box of not educated, but hey, take what we give you, which is working in a kitchen or cleaning woman. Take that. That's what you deserve. And I felt like many people come into this country or come from an immigrant background or uh, quit school. And then when they come to a new country, they are told your CV is not valid. Your diploma is not valid. So they end up, I've met people who are doctors and then now they're just janitors. And you are like, what went wrong? You spent so many years in the medical field and then you come into a new country and they tell you that your, your degree is not valid. So what you did is not actually worth anything. And I was like, nah, it's not It's not right. So I built my organization, which is called Shilis Digital. I wanted to show people that technology, for me, technology was a technical field that showed me a new path. You know, it made me build a path for myself. And I believe that technology can help people build something. I don't force people to be technical, I'm technical because it's what I was meant to do, but technology is not, it's just not a technical field, it is a world of possibilities, just think about the different jobs or different things that look at what we're doing right now, this is not technical, yet it is powered by technology, so Mm -hmm. my inspiration was that I wanted to show them that you can turn the cards around for you with technology, you can find a tool you can learn a skill using online tools like google to learn something new and build something new so you don't have to just listen to what the world is telling you and say do what we tell you and you know just take it i wanted to show people that there's a world of possibilities you can change your luck when it comes to technology there's no educated there's no degree when it comes to technology when you're in front of a screen it's what you can do that matters
0: it's kind of to all me, at your fingertips right like you have exactly the you have it there.
2: It. So, what can you do with it to make something out of yourself? she's Digital was one of those things where you're like, uh, it was mainly a hobby because you know, I was freelancing, creating websites. But it turned out to be like giving workshops every week to women and children and men came to my to to the co-working space that I was, and they were like, "Can you teach me how to code? Can you teach me how to build a website? Can you teach me this?" So Shields Digital actually turned out. Beyond something, I didn't even, when I made it, when I created it, it wasn't the idea of making something that would get me paid to travel, because actually people paid me to travel to Africa, paid me to come to their country and talk about technology and uh, vocational training. I was like, absolutely like, I didn't set it out to be that. I started giving workshops to kids. So for example, I had um, three different courses was, for example, uh, I had a robotic course for kids because kids are the future. When you think about children, today's children are so exposed to technology, but they're exposed to the wrong type of technology. They're exposed to Instagram, TikTok, all these <laughs> Snapchats. But for me, that's not technology. That's social media. Because when you talk to kids, what is technology? Ah, it's Instagram. And I'm like, no it's not it's something built from technology but it's not and I showed them a world beyond social media like it's just not social media there is coding there's robotics you know there's AI and we messed about with I can send you some pictures if you want we mess out with virtual reality I got the kids to visit La Louvre from Brussels with a wow. VI and they were like I'm here, but I'm not here. It's like they were completely mind-blown. Right. I taught refugee kids, kids who were refugees coming from a refugee background, because there was this organization that helped refugee kids, and they told me, Can you teach these kids? Can you show them that their situation is not permanent? Can you show them that there's a world beyond what they see every day? Because the way they treat refugees, if it's just hopeless. It's a hopeless feeling that seeing your mom your brother everybody struggle around you trying to get into a country and settle down so they wanted me to sort of give a workshop for them and i did and to be honest the kids seeing that i was black was sort of like a uh, joyful for them because they were yes. like you're just like me yeah. you know you're just like me and then they were like how can you do this and like how do you know this and i was like well I learned it for my... It's like, did you go to school? I was like, no, I didn't. She's like, I can learn this? Like, yeah, you can. So, you know, it was just like giving them hope. Empowering them. Like showing them that there's there's life after. Just because you're in this situation now, there's hope for you to amounting to something.
0: You're like answering my questions before I can even answer them. I just have to say it. I love listening. (laughs) You're such an amazing person to listen to. And and your story is so inspiring. And I I was going to ask what, what did like, how did you maintain the level of hope and the drive to keep going? Cause it just feels like time after time, like you'd kind of get a few steps ahead and get knocked back down again. What would you say to somebody that was going through that? I mean, you kind of touched on it in terms of like, you know, keeping hope, but yeah. As you said, it's a fickle thing. It's a hard thing to hold it on is. to. It is. So so how what kept you going?
2: For a long time, you know, when I was in this journey, I had a fuel, you know, like a fuel. I called it it's like your fuel. My fuel was run with anger, desire to prove everybody wrong desire to prove like i got i can do this it was a very i mean it was a very powerful fuel because it got it kept me going but it was fueled by the wrong ingredients you know for example it was fueled with anger it was fueled with um hate for having my life life the way it turned out to be i was like i'm so angry that this happened to me like oops, I, I had so much you know, I would see people with their families and friends. And I was so angry at that because I was all alone in a country that I had no one. And uh, being adopted is just like, I, you know, I just didn't even want to think about looking for my other family or from, from where I come from. I was so angry at that situation. So it was a wrong fuel, to be honest. And I always tell people that, you know, if you want to find something to keep you going, find something positive. I was drinking at night where people didn't even know this. Like I I was drinking wine. I I evolved. I went from, you know, uh, gin to wine, but it was still a terrible habit. You know, every night coming home, I had my bottle of wine, not even a glass, a bottle. And then the thing about this entrepreneurship events, it's the same thing. There's always wine. There's always food. So it's just like people see you with a glass. Oh, she's, it's fine. It's an entrepreneur event. You know, it's, this is what we do. But it was the wrong type of fall because I would drink all night, barely sleep, wake up in the morning and go work, go do the hassle, go meet to my meetings. And it was just a constant circle that I kept doing over and over. And then so... it it might sound tacky actually but once I made peace with what happened to me sort of getting closure you know and get a closure so what happened was I I I sat down with my uh what do you call it my 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 guardian from back in the day sat down with him and I talked to him and I told him that no because he knew me you know like there are people who know you in your life journey he knew me he knew me from that from that moment, not this person who's getting invited and getting plane tickets bought and you know doing this left and right. There's people, they don't know me. They, 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 they know my story, but they 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 might feel for me, but they weren't there. You know, they weren't there when I was barely sleeping at night. And I was so scared and I was afraid that the the roof over my head is gonna be taken away. So, you know, we talked and I told him like, I I feel like I'm going into that circle again of drinking and working my ass off and just doing everything like I used to do back in the day. And I told him that the drinking feels like unavoidable because every event I go to, you were expecting to drink. It's there, you know. So he, he really sat me down and he told me like he told me what he told me back in the day. It's up to you to make the choice like it's not you no one is forcing you to take that drink and just because you're in a room full of people doesn't mean you have to so he I asked him, which is weird because I asked him to be with me to uh, meet like let's meet every week that's if you have time I want I want someone who I knew from back then to be with me and and sort of like talk to me you know because we are I'm surrounded by so many people but I couldn't be myself like no one knew that I was I had a drinking issue no one knew because I could hide it so well you know you're like a functional alcoholic that's the word. so mm. and that was my fuel you know it's like because during the night, I would drink myself and forget everything and just black out. And in the morning, I would wake up and just go for it. And I would go, 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 go. And he, we, if we started meeting every week and we would talk, you know, I would tell him how I feel lost about, you know, everything that happened to me. And sometimes I just feel like I never make peace with it. And he was like, well, you have to make peace with it. And one of the pieces I would to make is to go back home, go to Switzerland, now, yeah, go. Because I still hadn't gone back home. I hadn't. It's so weird. Like, i have done all these things, but I never managed to get on a plane and go back home. It was like, it's time to go. So, you know, I booked my plane ticket, went to Switzerland. So weird. I couldn't even survive 24 hours until I booked another flight and I just came home. <laughs> it was just too much. It was too much. It's too emotion, too raw, too... It's too... But the fact that I went and I... You know i went and i i saw my old friends and we, we talked even if it was for 24 hours we talked i met people that i knew back in the day when i was a kid and you know and i i i went to say my goodbyes to you know my my family said so yeah it was um it was, it was very painful actually to think about it and um that really gave me closure to be able to, let's say, start fresh, start a new life, right? Be, be open to possibilities and just not give up. Because I always tell myself, I wanted to prove, I wanted to live a life that my my parents would be proud of. I always kept telling myself, like, you know, I want to live a life where one day if my mom Googled my name, she would see it and she would be like, that's my kid. That's, that was one of my motivations, actually. Live a life, because they gave me, and they they, they they found me, like they saved me. You know, adoption whole adoption, like they, they gave me a life where if I was living in Africa, I wouldn't be who I am. You know, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't know technology. I probably I don't even know what my life would be like, to be honest. So mm-hmm. they saved me in some kind of way, right? So that was my hope. like. Live a life that when my mom or dad would open a PC, they would look at they. would Okay, let's Google Nadia, and they would Google and they would see like Nadia 10x Nadia this, Nadia that, and they not be like, "That's my kid. I she did that. We made that
0: happen." And you've and you've done that. I mean, at the very yeah, end of you of did it. Recording you Tisha did. said we thought you were too big for us to ask. No I'm, no I'm not yeah girl. but that's how we <laughs> you know we googled you and we felt that so i can only imagine I, what your parents I, uh, would think if they were here you know I,
2: I wish you know i wish they got to witness this to be honest i wish um because for you know parents are an essential ingredient in a kid's life you they are needed even if now i'm a mom the first thing mm-hmm. when i was pregnant with my son is i need my mother that's <laughs> like i need my mom yeah. I was so scared and everything. I was like, yeah, so that was my motivation, to be honest. But mm-hmm. it, it only became that after I got rid of the toxicity because there was so much anger and toxic. Like, why am I alone? Why, why, why me? Like, you know, yeah. I remember listening to uh, uh, my favorite motivational speaker, Ms. Brown. And it's like, you know, why are you asking why you? Who else would you choose to to suffer in your place? you know exactly like the question why me is absolutely ridiculous because then who else who do you want to suffer in your place no one right so um yeah so i always say to people that we have a tendency to think that just because everything like dark valley i call it dark valley. when you're in a dark valley all you see is that all you see is that no matter how anyone else comes and tell you that it's going to get better. Don't worry, you'll make it. But all you see is that. And it takes you, you personally, having a vision, visualize where you want to be. For me, it was that. I always visualize that I wanted to be someone. I want to be, I want to be someone. I want to be someone, not in the sense I want to be famous, but in the sense where I want to be someone Who matters you know I want to be someone where when I when I say something people actually learn something from it you know I want to be someone where you know with everything that has happened to me I want to give someone hope I want to give someone a chance to see that there is more to your life than just what you were given there's more just because you're suffering now doesn't mean that it's going to be that so visualizing i used like i used to sit on that stairs in the metro station and visualize myself coming out of it like i would be like i see myself in a house warm house food on the table eating with friends and you know talking about things left and right that was my visualize i never visualized this life but i visualized comfort of this you know the same, the same common f- like having a roof under my head being safe um being surrounded with people who love me and and our family and that's
0: where that was what right keeps me and,
2: and that's, that's where i am hello this is right family now. here <laughs> <laughs> hello I mean, oh, you know uh,
1: she was asleep. so visualize
2: visualize keeps the hope alive visualizing keeps your hope alive because without, the, you know, the mind is such a powerful thing. If you despair, you will tumble, you will break. But if you keep a positive visual, you can suffer. I suffered, I cried, but I kept a very positive image in my head for where I wanted to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you
0: so, so much, <laughs> Nadia, for sharing your story and and for meeting with us. and. Um, I could listen to you talk forever. Like it's
1: such an <laughs> such an honor to have you share your story with us. You're really, really. just oh. such an inspiring, amazing person. And you know that wow. that dream you had that that you know you can be someone yeah. that you're proud of. Your parents can be proud of. Like you did it, girl. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's amazing. You know,
2: I I have a really like a thing where I I still wake up in the morning and touch myself. Like it's real because. I feel like the cruelest joke would be to wake up on those on those stairs. I'm
0: metro stairs, yeah. We're and then be gonna. like, oh yeah,
2: that was just a dream. You know, and it's mm-hmm. just a, it's um it's 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 a it's it is I I didn't I didn't expect this. I did not. This is no this is not part of my plan. This entire life I'm living right now for me is something where this wasn't what I what I expected. It's absolutely not. It is be i could ever imagine and i'm absolutely like a mom hello i i refused to have kids i remember there's even a video of me saying i'm never gonna have kids because i was so afraid of the loss because i know what loss feels like and i was afraid that loving someone so much like your children and losing them would be something that would break me i know a few things that can break me and my kids are one of them yeah. if i was And I'm sure every mother can say that, but for me, it came from the part where I loved so much. Adoptive kids love, I don't know, 10 times harder because we know that we were given a chance or something, you know, we know that this was, this wasn't meant to be, but they chose it to be, they chose me to be their kid. So it's something where I felt like... kids would break me if i if i had them so my husband like convinced me you have kids it's gonna be good for you nadia you'll see i was like oh i don't have kids no like i'm so afraid that i'm going to be to be so like i don't know but then i i met, i had my son and to be honest i felt a very i felt something changing me to be honest as a mom because yeah. you know because Family. I remember I, this is something really sad, but I would. I was born. I was born on the twenty fourth of December, which is like Christmas. Yeah. And for about like uh, four, sorry, for about four years, I spent my Christmas alone. Like you know, I would. Everybody would see me from January to like November, but then once we got to December, I would like retreat into myself because I was so depressed I was so sad I was crying and miserable and I was drinking and it was like because you know like December is usually the times where you see family. family family this love this love that and then just realized that actually it's just me it's just me this world It is so yeah. horrible but then once I had my kid I realized like oh my god this is the one person who can't leave me he can't leave me and if he tries, I'm gonna chain him in the basement. He needs me. <laughs> you know, it's like if you leave me, I swear to god, I'm tired. you today, like my son is like, I have a girlfriend. I'm like, I don't care. I came first. So I am still I am no your mother. Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I I worked through it, took years of therapy. It took years of me coming to a conclusion that, you know my family my my family wouldn't want to see me suffer they didn't want to see me like destroying who i am so every day even if i get like you know every day i get i get rejection i get uh blocks and tumbles but knowing that i made it this far is already something you know like just look from where you come from look where you started and where are you today there's no point in giving up there's no point and yeah So I talk too much, but I,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I hope, I hope I was clear enough. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, you, you you absolutely were. And we, we so appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to talk to us. So thank you so, so much.
2: Thank well me. I think it's important to talk I mean we, I mean you would agree like it's not keeping inside is the worst thing where you know someone asked me like why are you so open about your story you know because I know that I'm not the only one I'm not the only homeless person to have ever lived I'm not the only one who's ever dropped out of school but for me it feels I told them it's like a healing process for me because I share my story then someone comes and tells me tells me theirs And then together we see that, oh my God, we made it. We worked through it. But if you haven't made it, well, I'm happy to help. I want to be there to give you what I know. The tools that I picked up along the way, I freely give them. You know, I freely give them because I feel like just because I had to suffer doesn't mean you you have to either.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What an amazing, that's like the best. (laughs) Well, it's just, it's a wonderful perspective and it's a really great place to end and so thank you so
1: so. so much thanks for listening to now what if you've enjoyed this episode leave us a review your ratings and reviews help more people
0: like you find our podcast don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it and make sure to find us on instagram at now what underscore podcast until next time we're tisha and jen remember your hard times are the chance to write another chapter